Phil Pearce, Chief Executive Officer of ESR Australia. Pleasure speaking with you this morning. I thought we'd open our discussion with the current environment. What are you hearing and seeing across commercial property markets at the moment? Um, yeah, morning and, and thanks, thanks for having me. Um, look, the commercial, commercial real estate uh, markets are obviously across the board quite, quite, quite buoyant and that really is, I think is, is driven by obviously a weight of capital coming into the sector looking for, um, you know, I suppose long secure cash flows um, and, and, and relatively attractive yields as opposed to what are on offer from, from other asset classes. So that has seen, um, you know, uh, a big you know, weight of capital coming into the sector, which has obviously driven, driven down cap rates and uh, capital values up. So that's, uh, I suppose, the, the key theme at the, at the moment. Compared with other regions across the world, how competitive is the Asia-Pacific property market at the moment and has it made it difficult in finding suitable investment opportunities? Yeah, look, I, the, the, I mean, the Asia-Pacific market is, is, is competitive. Um, it is, I suppose, a, a, a region that um, has of recent times um, become on the radars of you know of, of North American investors and, and European investors that have maybe been underweight to the sector so the, the region so as a result um, there has has been a lot of uh, capital come into the, the major markets the major, major economies so that's not I wouldn't say across all the economies but you know markets like uh, China Japan. Um, Australia, uh, you know, and, 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 and Singapore even have, have sort of been, for want of a better word, beneficiaries in terms of the capital um, inflows and obviously made those markets um, highly, highly, highly competitive. And then with a specific focus on Australia, what are the investment fundamentals that, that make this country attractive for investment? Yeah, look, so obviously it's in the, it's in the um, Asia Pacific, so if you, and, and I mean, it is a you know a very transparent market. Um, it is uh, a deep market. It is a stable uh, p politically and and a tr transparent legal legal system. So, it is a first a good first step for people coming into the into the region. So I think you know it provides uh, stability in a in in a um, developed developed economy. Um, so, from that perspective. Um, it's an attractive investment destination um, and obviously it benefits, I suppose, from proximity to like the growth. Uh, it's benefited a lot from the growth that's come from China over that. So in some ways, um, it's, a, it's, a safe, it's a safe bet on, on China as, as well. Based on your experiences, how would you evaluate the impacts of the past 20 or so months in terms of commercial real estate values? Has it opened up opportunities or has it presented challenges or a bit of both? Um, to be honest, a, a, bit of, a bit of bit of both. I mean, the sector that we um, operate has, has been a significant um, beneficiary um, of that. Um, so I think um, for those that were sort of... Um, brave enough to hold the course when, when COVID first hit because that actually created a, a lot of uncertainty. Um, and, and I don't think anyone I don't think anyone could honestly say they've 
would have predicted the way it has has panned out. But um, for those that were brave enough to steer the, stay the course, it's obviously created uh, great opportunities. But now it's obviously you know there's a lot of capital coming into into our sector, and it's made it um, highly highly competitive. Before we move on, when you look ahead to next year, what do you what's your gut feel in in terms of where the market will go? Do you think there's still growth and buoyancy or do you see some challenges or risks on the horizon? Clearly, I suppose there's a little bit of uncertainty at the moment as to what's going to happen with, with interest rates. So, you know, that probably um, means that there's potentially a, a bit of a pause to see um, where interest rates are going to go. But I suppose each asset class has probably got different, different drivers. I think... Um, you know, for example, the office sector, people will be looking to see the uptake and, and you know, what, how, how the workforce uh, responds in terms of coming back to the office and the occupancy in offices. And retail's got its, um, its own issues. And I think, you know, industrial has, has run extremely, extremely hard. Um, so, you know... I would have thought that that run is is starting to you know we must be getting to a stage where cap rates are are going to stabilise um, in the in the industrial sector. Let's now explore the ESR Australia business. Talk to me about the decision that was made, I think, in 2018 to launch the Australian side of ESR. So ESR really at that stage um, had a, uh, a presence in in you know the major major economies. Uh, you know the business started in in Japan and and China, big presence up there. Later moved to Korea and and and, and Singapore, and um, I suppose and had set up a business in India. The the missing piece in the in the puzzle was 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 Australia to make it a true um, APAC um, platform. Um, and look, they had been looking at uh, entering the Australian market previously and probably had a, a couple of uh, false starts. Um, so it was a natural, a natural progression and then it was more about um, uh, how is the, the best way to, to enter the market. I mean, typically in other markets, CSR had basically built their businesses organically from the, from the ground up. Um, but the Australian market's pretty, pretty, pretty competitive, and there is some major, major players in in that in the market that that dominate the market. So, as a as a result, we um, we felt that maybe looking for a platform or a couple of platforms that we could um, acquire would obviously um, speed up. Um, our entry into the into the market. So ultimately, we came in into the market via the acquisition of a of a, of a couple of uh, platforms or, or businesses. As I understand it, ESR is now Asia Pacific's largest real estate logistics group with around about 47 or 48 billion dollars of assets. Now has about 8 billion dollars here in Australia. What are the investment fundamentals or keys that you look at prior to any investment or acquisition? I think um, so. As you mentioned, we're, we're focused on on, on the logistics logistics sector. The 
and and the majority of our business, we are a a, a fund manager with a with a strong strong development capability. Um, so the development piece is, is is quite important. But ultimately, what we we're we're looking for is pretty pretty simple. The old real estate um, real estate um, adage of location, location, and location. That is obviously um, very very important. But um, you know clearly there's underlying factors around supply and and demand um, that we that we look at and infrastructure existing infrastructure but um, also uh, new infrastructure or planned infrastructure because for logistics location is all about the um, proximity to key infrastructure whether that be airports uh, ports seaports rail or, or road road infrastructure so um, so when we talk about location, um, it's usually driven driven around uh, access to, to key to key infrastructure. No doubt you've been asked about this ad nauseum this year, but earlier in the year, ESR did secure the $3.8 billion acquisition of the Milestone Logistics portfolio from Blackstone. Where do you begin when you're assessing an opportunity of that scale? Yeah, I mean... I suppose um, when you're initially assessing it, you we, you probably are taking a, a top-down a top-down approach. Um, you know, uh, looking at I suppose initially the weightings of geographic weightings of, of the portfolio, what, what weightings in New South Wales, Victoria, um, and 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 then to get you to get to get you over the the the, the portfolio, then. Um, you know, then obviously you've then got to start to, to dig into the into the detail and and go. So it's a, it's an interesting process. Initially, you start top down, and then when the when the whips are cracking and it's um, it's coming to uh, crunch time, it's very much uh, a bottom up approach where you're ultimately modelling um, every single tenant, tenant by tenant. You're you're visiting all the properties. You're doing individual um, asset plans with a with a long term what what the long term strategy is for each individual um, asset. So, you know, it, it is a I suppose a various um, st uh, steps in the process which start at the top and then you end up going to the bottom and and, and meeting meeting in the middle. If I recall correctly, at the time the portfolio offered an initial yield of about four and a half percent with a six point nine year whale, and it had a relatively low site coverage of thirty eight or thirty nine percent. How has the business ESR business? How how has it sort of evaluated the opportunity since then and increased those metrics? Yeah, so um, yeah, the, the metrics you quote like the, the portfolio um, has certainly we've integrated it into the business well and the and the team that we that we um, that came across as, as part of that um, acquisition. Um, the you know, the portfolio, I think we've we've definitely increased the yield um, since the time of acquisition via via uh, letting up of, of vacant of vacant space. Um, and then I think one of the, the key attributes of the portfolio we liked was this um, low site coverage, which ultimately at 39%, like a, a logistics uh, site or development site, you know, typically the site cover would be somewhere between 50 and 55%. So what that means is a lot of, lot of potential. But that potential in terms of adding to 
the portfolio is going to take uh, time to unearth. And that was obviously a part of the approach. We talked about doing individual asset plans and, and planning when um, we could, you know, potentially access some of this upside, development upside, which we have uh, started to do in, in some instances, um, probably ahead of, ahead of schedule. I think what has actually happened since we bought the portfolio, um, land values have uh, increased significantly. So that means, I think, um, even properties that we thought were going to be five years or six years before it was going to be economically viable to develop them, that time period uh, or redevelop them, that time period has, has come in. So I think uh, you know, we, we, the, the market has certainly moved in the right direction for us and the portfolio has um, performed um, exceptionally exceptionally well. I think we only have one one vacancy in the, in the portfolio and that's because the the, the tenancy actually needs some uh, renovation work done to it. So, um, yeah, the portfolio has performed well and we are starting to see opportunities to start to um, develop on that underutilised uh, land area. Historically speaking, it's quite rare for a portfolio of that magnitude to come to market, but we are starting to see more and more portfolio opportunities come to market, particularly in the last couple of years. Do you forecast or expect to see assets or portfolios of that scale come to market in future? And if they do, would ESR Australia be a, a participant? Yeah, so good good question. I think, you know, it, it's interesting. You are right. I think a, a portfolio, if a portfolio of this scale came to the market 10 years ago, I think it would, be, would have been too big and it would have... Know, to, to assemble the amount of capital that was required would have been would have been challenging in the Australian market. Um, however, um, and, and so as a result, a portfolio that size may have actually uh, potentially sold at a at a discount. Now, with what's happened with capital looking to get into our sector, as in the logistics sector, but generally into into real estate. I think um, you know there's potentially a premium for bringing uh, those sort of portfolios online because ultimately um, it's a good quality portfolio. You can allocate a lot of a lot of capital um, quickly. So um, so I think that the, these portfolio sales, you know, the market and, and the weight of capital has, has certainly helped those opportunities. So and if, if there were further opportunities like this and we liked the portfolio, um, we would certainly participate. So there has been portfolios that have come to market that we since since the milestone portfolio that we didn't suit didn't suit us so we we didn't we didn't participate but you know obviously if we like the portfolio and our importantly our capital partners um, like the portfolio we would obviously then um, then then look to look to participate. Speaking of capital partners, ESR also recently strengthened its relationship with global investors, in particular with GIC and also with M&G Real Estate. Asia also putting money into various funds that the business runs. What are the key metrics that make ESR's domestic operations attractive to groups like that? Yeah, a good good question. I think, to be honest, I think that the key the key is um, development capability. I think um, it, it is really competitive out there bidding to to buy buy existing assets, and you're not necessarily all the time getting the the, the, the best assets. Um, 
unless someone sort of you know ultimately exiting the, the you know made a decision to, to to complete the exit like in the case of of of, of Blackstone so um, the ability to actually manufacture for want of a better word our own our own product where you're producing brand new um, you know premium grade logistics facilities is 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 very very uh, rare and I think quite um, quite um, sought after by, by by capital partners so there's certainly that the 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 development um, capability and then also I think another attribute that is um, well regarded by our teams well regarded about for is their active the active approach that we have to um, asset asset management so you know we do manage our portfolio uh, very actively we have you know a lot of we are sector specific we do the property management in-house so we know our customers and um, you know we have our own internal internal releasing resources um, so that that's obviously obviously important and then Due to the the group's regional presence, we are able to tap into our customer networks um, offshore. So I think that brings opportunities that um, may not be available for purely domestic focused um, focused managers. So I think there's a there's, there's a couple of reasons: the sector specific focus of our business, the development capability, and our active our active approach to to management. And reflecting on the business's current portfolio, as I mentioned, there's about $8 billion of, of assets there. What are you seeing in terms of tenancy profile and then tenancy demand? Yeah, so tenancy um, profile, um, you know, we have a, a, a quite, a, quite a mix. I mean, you know, from, from 3PLs to manufacturers to... But what we have, have seen, I suppose, in terms of tenancy profiles is... A new a new group of uh, type of 3PL or, or um, customer that is very much focused on servicing the e-commerce, the online uh, segment. So that um, I suppose has um, created uh, new new customers, um, and you know I think uh, there's a couple of factors going on in the market at the moment that has sort of leading to very, very strong demand for, for space and online shopping or e-commerce is, is, is one of those. So, you know, historically Australia had been a late adopter to e-commerce versus markets in, in, in the US and Europe and, and, and China, but COVID actually has forced people to shop on, online because people obviously were, you know, wanting, not necessarily wanting to expose themselves to, to, to COVID, so they're staying at home. Um, so that's forced people. And now people have uh, actually found it's actually pretty easy and if something doesn't fit, we can sort of return it easily. So I think people have actually become aware of the convenience of online shopping. So, now Australia, um, the penetration to online shopping has is, is nearly doubled over uh, over that period. I think it's increased from about sort of six uh, percent to uh, uh, you know twelve twelve percent penetration. So pretty pretty significant um, increase. And then um, so that that's that's one thing that's happened. And the other thing is we've all been reading about disruption to supply chains, um, and you know. Uh, the shortage of of inventory and, and and goods. So what companies have actually had to do is actually look at holding more inventory. 
Um, so that has obviously um, increased the, the amount of warehouse space, the demand for, for warehouse space. So, you know, we do, you know, the occupancy levels across Melbourne, uh, Brisbane, Sydney, um, you know, all markets are at all time, all time highs. I mean, you've you've got a small, uh, you're basically at nearly at full occupancy in, in Sydney. Um, Melbourne's a, a similar a similar situation. So um, the combination of uh, the increase in, in online shopping and um, people looking at uh, or holding more inventory has sort of uh, certainly um, uh, led to a, a, a big uh, explosion in, in demand. Based on what you're seeing geographically speaking, are you seeing any pockets or any evidence of either oversupply or undersupply in any markets? So, an interesting question. I think all the markets are tight. So, um, I think you wouldn't say there's a there's an oversupply in in any market. Um, Sydney. Um, at the moment, the land the land that's available for development is tight. There is land coming. It has actually already been rezoned in, in Western Sydney. Um, but however, in terms of that land being shovel-ready, that's probably taking longer than what uh, people expected. So um, as a result, Sydney is tight at the moment. Um, however, that will be alleviated in the next um, 18 months, I, I, I would expect, as sort of the final uh, planning um, determinants get get uh, sorted out. Um, Melbourne is extremely tight, um, southeast and, and western Melbourne. Um, and, and Brisbane is actually, the land supply is, is tight there. So they are our major, our major markets. But you know, even even Adelaide, which has been in the doldrums for for a number of a number of years, has actually seen uh, a big a big pickup in in demand. And I, I really think that's all about these companies looking to hold more 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 inventory. There's been speculation in some quarters about the rapid rise in the values of industrial property. Do you think it will be sustainable over the years ahead? And do you forecast that cap rates will continue to fall, or do you think they'll stagnate or steady to some degree? Yes, yeah, so that's a good question because um, now industrial cap rates are probably the firmest in the, in the you know in the real estate uh, of the major real estate asset classes, and traditionally they were the were the highest, but you know, we have, and whenever people talk about structural shifts, it usually means it's going to unwind. But I, I, I don't think there has been a structural a structural shift, and I don't think it's going to unwind um, anytime soon. And that, you know, that that shift has has been ultimately around this increase in in demand. Um, as a result of, of, of e-commerce and ultimately um, people looking at, at re-weighting, I suppose, re-weighting their portfolios from, say, uh, from other asset classes to, to industrial. Um, and I think the market is also uh, looking at what's happened in North America um, in particular when you know this increased demand has come, which has sort of led to significant rental growth, so I think the market is um, pricing in to the Australian market that there is um, going to going to be significant rental growth, and I think we are actually seeing that um, come through. We we do have a we, we have a, a two a two tiered market where existing stock where there's not much vacancy 
Um, you know, we are seeing rental growth where so customers that need space, they don't have time to go and source a, a new a new development. They've got to go into existing stock. So that is actually, we are seeing rents um, rise as a result of that. Um, then the companies that actually um, have have the, the luxury of, of planning and, and sort of two years out or, or 18 months out looking for a, for a new facility. I suppose the, the pre-lease market, um, there is, um, I suppose, that we haven't seen the rental growth there because cap rate compression has meant that developers can actually um, hold their hold their margin without without increasing their rent. So um, we sort of have a have a two 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 tiered market at the at the moment. Just before we move on, how would you assess the appetite internally here at ESR Australia for new developments or new acquisitions over the next 12 months? Well, I think we have uh, our, our, our capital partners um, are looking to deploy capital. We have we have a couple of buckets. We have uh, development capital, and the capital partners in our in our development partnership, you know, are certainly wanting to deploy capital. And we have land that is there ready for development. So we'll continue to to build that out, and we want to. You know, we want to um, increase our, our development pipeline and our, our work in progress. So certainly the appetite for, for that. Then we do have a uh, another uh, bucket of capital for um, to invest to buy existing assets um, that are income income producing, and we do have uh, and we, we are looking to to do that. But you know, at the moment, it's, it's pretty hard to um, find good opportunities. Um, so I suppose we just have to be uh, selective and, and be patient and wait for the right opportunities for that for that um, capital. But you know, for both um, both income producing assets and um, development, we do have capital and we are looking to deploy. In general terms, what impact has AI and machine learning and automation had on either some of the tenants that are in ESR Australia properties or potentially on the industry itself? Yeah, I mean, good question. It's it's obviously um, a big a, a big big thing at the moment in terms of uh, the adoption of technology in in, in warehousing. So it's certainly um, having uh, an impact on on the design of, of, of warehouses um, and you know obviously this, this technology um, the automated technology requires ultimately super super flat floors and and, and, and less less movement um, in in floor so that's obviously a, a key a key piece um, and then you know another another um, a thematic that we have seen come into the into the sector is um, high bay warehousing, where there's a lot of automated automated racking systems and that, that are computerised. So um, that has sort of, in some instances, seen uh, the height of uh, warehousing significantly significantly increase from, you know, I suppose. 12, 12 metres up to up to 30 and, and 40, 40 metres high, where you've got what we call really um, high bay high bay racking. So, it is um, it is having a, a, an impact, and I suppose what it is doing is meaning that the cubic capacity of a warehouse um, is 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 in, is increasing as a result. 
In terms of construction costs, you can't talk to a developer at the moment that's pleased with the 20 or 30 percent rise in some instances in the cost of either materials or labour or, or a combination of both. How are you seeing the uh, fluctuations and the increases in construction costs, particularly from a development perspective? You know, clearly there has been significant, significant escalation. Um, I suppose we, for our existing projects, that's, um, that, that's okay because ultimately we've got in lock, lock contracts. For, uh, for our, our future projects, it, it, you know, it is a, I suppose it's a, an issue that we, we have, to, have to deal with. I suppose the fortunate thing is, you know, we probably are able to retain our, our margins because um, cap, rates have, cap rates have come in. I do think it means that we have to, um, you know, perhaps take a more hands-on approach in terms of the design. So we'd perhaps get in, involved in the design a little more than what we, than what we would have um, previously to make sure that the, that the design is efficient and, um, and, and, and that type of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something we all, all, all of us are having to, having to grapple with and, and I suppose different groups will deal with it in, in different, different ways. Um, but you know, hopefully, um, as as supply chains um, and the impacts of COVID on supply chains normalise, um, then we'll we'll see things um, stabilise um, a, a bit. But you know, we're getting hit with materials and and, and labour escalation, as you as, as you mentioned. As you know, there's been an enormous emphasis and focus on sustainability and ESG. How important are both of those factors, either for this particular business, ESR Australia, or the industry itself? Yeah, look, um, obviously it's it's extremely um, topical at the moment, and you know, we've just uh, had the had the had the COP COP conference. Um, it is extremely important. The investor, so it, it, it's it's as an organisation, we want to be socially responsible. So, from our own organisation perspective, um, it is a it is a large a large focus. Um, then our investors um, also are, are looking for um, us as as a manager to, to to sort of take a lead and and be you know responsible and and be you know pushing pushing the boundaries and and um and in our our building design and and that type of thing and then also our customers so ultimately you know everyone um is uh looking at at a more um a, a sustainable approach and i suppose the good thing about that is i mean it's like because everyone's looking at it, it does it does come at a at a price in terms of it does add to cost, but because you know customers are, are looking to 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 ESG as well as um, our investors, I think it's you know it's it's everyone's working collaboratively um, to you know ultimately limit the impact that we that we have on the environment. Now, ESR is a is a relatively new player um, in in the market. And we are sort of we're sort of ramping up our our ESG initiatives um, at the moment, and um, you know, it's clearly a, a focus for not only ESR in Australia but across uh, across the, the the region as well. In closing out our discussion, I'd be interested to know if there are any markets here in Australia 
uh, either geographically speaking or uh, market sectors that you're not yet invested in that you may be looking at investing in in future? We're obviously a, a, a logistics um, industrial uh, property company, so obviously the, the that sector will uh, continue to be continue to be a focus for us. Um, we we ultimately we do have uh, some suburban suburban office or business park assets, um, and you know we are we are looking to to expand that side of our business, and another area that we you know for want of a better word, a new economy um, sector that we're, we're looking at is, is, is data centres. So the group um, across the region, we have set up a, a data centre business and we are um, certainly evaluating, evaluating that um, down here in Australia as, as well. So they're probably the, the, um, the three areas that we'll continue to focus on. Phil Pearce, Chief Executive Officer of ESR Australia, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Thanks.